welcome to another episode of Christ in Context, a podcast dedicated to seeing Christ in all of Scripture and using all of Scripture to filter all of life. My name is Kevin, and I am your host. Thanks for joining today, uh, or this evening, afternoon, morning, whatever time of day it is that you're listening. Um, For me, it's currently 12.10 a.m. on uh, Monday morning. <laughs> uh, most of it is just unfortunate circumstances. Uh, well, not circumstances. Just I've I planned this episode on Friday, like I did all my prep work, and I was gonna record on Friday, and then I just ran out of time. And so here we are. I'm committed to getting these episodes out every Monday. So yeah, um, quick announcement on Facebook. If you follow on Facebook, um, I will be posting at some point, um, uh, just at some point Monday, late morning, um, I'm going to be posting a poll so if you don't already follow me on Facebook, go to Christ in Context Podcast, or um, if you type in at Christ in Context Pod, then you should be able to find me. Um, I'm going to be putting out a poll because I, I want to know uh, what type of series we should be going into. I want to hear from you guys. So recently I've just kind of been doing random verses that I feel have been taken out of context or I've seen taken out of context. Um, but I don't just want to focus on passages that are taken out of context, but I want to, uh, do expositional, uh, or exegetical book studies. So, um, I'll, I'll post a couple options, but if there's stuff that you really want to hear, um, make sure you get on that poll and you either comment on it, or I'm going to try to make it so that there's an option that you can add an option there. Um, but if not, then just comment. And I think by Wednesday, I'll narrow it down to, you know, top two or three options. And then we'll announce what the, this upcoming series will be. There's still a couple passages. I think next week I want to get into Matthew seven, um, one through four, which is don't judge. That's really, really popular for our generation. So yeah, I'll be post, I think a couple options that I have in mind for like book studies are like, uh, the book of revelation or, um, the book of Zechariah, because I remember reading Zechariah uh, a couple months ago and I was just so confused. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Um, but it, I mean, it's a dense book. The majority of it is dreams. And so that's going to be an option. Um, we could, I think we could also study through the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the old Testament. I think that'd be really neat. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll make those final decisions at least, um, of the options and, I'll post them on there. So get on Facebook, follow me, um, and we'll see 
what happens. I'm really excited to hear from you guys and hear what you want to hear. So today's passage is continuing in Philippians. Last week, we talked about Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Today, we are talking about Philippians 4.13. Might be one of the most um, common out-of-context verses um, alongside John 3.16 and Jeremiah 29.11, which Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me really easy short verse to memorize which is i think in part why this text gets taken out of context so frequently because it's super easy and it seems like something that we can apply pretty vaguely to our whatever circumstance we're in um i think that broadly if i were to say in a sentence how we how this verse is taken out of context is to it we here I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then we take it to mean I can do literally anything because the Holy Spirit is in me, which strengthens me. Therefore I can do literally anything. Um, and we might apply that to sports or school, or uh, you might just be feeling down on yourself and need a little ego boost or literally any type of other struggle that we're going through. Uh, we like to take this verse and just say like, oh yeah, I can get through this because I have Christ who strengthens me. Or uh, I think I, there, there's a football player who I knew in high school. Well, I didn't really know him, but I saw him in the locker room and he had this tattooed like on his chest. And I was like, I didn't even know you were a Christian, but, and I don't know if he is, but all that to say is that, um, you know, I, I've heard, People before sports events say that, you know, they've got faith in God that they're going to win because they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. Um, I think I've probably even thought that before in my really, really early days of being a Christian. So uh, this is, yeah, it's a really common verse to be taken out of context. And I had a lot of fun researching this. I, I was trying to find, I always try to find a couple, um, reformed, um, voices within, like within my study. So I always try to find like something from within Calvin's commentaries or Matthew Henry's commentaries. I don't have all of my resources accessible right now. Once uh, class starts in August, um, I should be able to access a little bit more, um, not just reform voices, but also like some more technical commentaries. So I'm excited for that. Um, but I, I was looking and hoping maybe John Calvin will have something. Maybe Matthew Henry will have something to say. And I, I seriously couldn't find anything like everything that they were saying was just like pretty straightforward, um, stuff that, has been repeated by some of these other commentators that I'll read later, um, which is, um, I think, evident of the idea that this verse probably wasn't taken out of context for most of church history. It was. It's probably only been maybe the past 100 or maybe 200 years, but I would say probably only the past 
hundred years where we've got this generation of people who is, you know, so excited to succeed that we want, you know, we want to believe that we can do anything through Christ. Um, and I think there is a healthy balance of understanding that we do have, um, we, we do indeed have as Romans, I think eight says the the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within us. So we don't want to get confused and say that we're, you know, we're powerless and just like any other human being, but at the same time, we're not superheroes because we have the Holy Spirit. Um, it's the Holy Spirit in us. So what's the context of this verse? And I, I should have kind of set the cultural and, uh, you know, the context of, you know, what was Paul going through when he wrote this? I should have set that last week when we started going through Philippians. So that was my bad. But um, <clears throat> Paul is in prison for sharing the gospel. Uh, I was reading through the Expositor's Bible Commentary, and it gave three different places where he could have been imprisoned, and that affects the dating of the letter. The most likely one, at least that this scholar said, was that Paul was imprisoned in Rome. I know he also mentioned Ephesus and somewhere else that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but he, you know, there were three plausible locations. I'm going to side with this scholar and say that it was probably Rome. And so he's encouraging the church in Philippi. It's This letter is a really encouraging, really personal letter. There's not a lot of like strong rebuke or a lot of deep concern for something that's going on in the church or deep concern about a certain believer or a certain group of believers. It's just, um, you know, go back and read it and you'll see that there's a lot of personal like undertones of Paul saying like, Hey, I know that you cared for me, or I know that you were concerned about me. Um, so that that's already important because that's going to set the stage for what, what Paul is saying in chapter four, but to set the stage a little bit, uh, chapter one, Paul's talking about, um, just the gospel. It's, There's a general layout for how ancient letters are written. I won't get into that right now. Maybe the next letter that we study, um, I'll get into that. But the first chapter, Paul talks a lot about the gospel being preached and how it's just important that the gospel is being preached. And then, um, you know, dying to himself, we get Philippians 121 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, and then in chapter two, we've got this hymn of Christ where um, Paul's encouraging the believers to continue to be like Christ in their servitude, to continue to serve others. And then he talks a little bit about Epaphroditus and Timothy and how uh, he sent them or he sent Timothy to them. And then they sent Epaphroditus to Paul Um and then chapter three is really where we get the meat of, at least like the theological meat, where Paul says that, 
he, you know, he explains the life that he used to live. And then he, as this pure Pharisee and Hebrew of Hebrews, and then in verse seven, he says that whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And that's crucial. And I'll explain why. Um, And then we get to chapter four, where he's kind of closing it out and saying, you know, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And then uh, he says to rejoice in the Lord always. And then, um, you know, he starts talking about in verse 10, and I'm going to read 10 to 20, because this is really going to set the stage for verse 13. So he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance, whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the whole um, context of where verse 13 fits into this is Paul's talking to the Philippians about this gift that they sent him. It's kind of vague as far as what the gift is. It could have been something that was just recently sent and he's thanking them for it and sending it right after he received it. It could also be something that he has already received and he's had it for a while and he's just reminding them of his thanks for it. But the important part is that he's talking about a gift and he's reminding them that even though he doesn't need the gift, he's very, very grateful for the gift. So let's go down uh, just verse by verse for verses 10 through 14. So this is, and we're doing it this way because this is um, at least how I've been taught the proper method of exegesis, where we start super, super broad, talk about the context of the whole book, and then you narrow it in until you're at this one verse or a couple verses. So I'm hoping that I'm demonstrating that well in um, how I'm like, I'm not just going to tell someone to do it this way, but I'm actually going to do it if I'm going to say it if I'm going to tell someone to do it. So verse 10 is where we see a change in discussion from, 
Paul talking about, uh, let's see, the things that he, he says in verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and God and the God of peace will be with you. And then he changes his direction. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly um, and starts talking about how they have this concern for him. He says, at last, you have, re- you have revived your concern for me, where um, it's not to say that they didn't have a concern, but he explains what he means by that, that indeed, you were greatly concerned before, but they didn't have the opportunity. So he's saying it, that the revival of their concern is that they've acted upon the concern that they had previously. Uh, verses 11 through 13, Paul is explaining that he's capable of getting along fine through uh, whatever circumstance. He lists being living in abundance and living in poverty or uh, humble means and uh, prosperity. And in every circumstance, he learned of being filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need. And so uh, he's appreciative of the Philippians, but it's ultimately Christ strengthening him. And so uh, a really neat thing that I found while researching this, and I've kind of been wondering what the word is for this um, this phenomenon that ha- it's not really a phenomenon, it's I don't really know what the right word is to describe what this is. So it's called a strophe, or a, uh, this is a strophic um, type of writing or a type of speaking. So usually this word is used in music, but we could also use it in in, in uh, language. Because And I'm getting this from the Expositor's Greek Commentary, which is available on Bible Hub. So basically it's repeating the, in music, it's repeating the same line or repeating the same uh, melody. And so with language, this is repeating the same idea, but with different words. So specifically what this is, is in verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And then in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the uh, connection is whatever circumstances and then all things. So we get this idea of a circle where Paul is circling from verse 11, where he says one thing that he can be content in whatever circumstance he explains what he means. And then verse 13 is to, is to close that out and to say, Hey, it's, it's this reminder that he can do all things, whatever circumstances and all things it's him who strengthens him. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know what's in my throat, but there's something there. Um, what's important as well about this is that in Stoic philosophy, this is coming from the Expositor's Bible Commentary, in Stoic philosophy, autarkes, which is the Greek word translated as content, described a person who accepted impassively whatever came circumstances that he could not change were regarded as the will of God and fretting was useless 
This philosophy fostered self-sufficiency in which all the resources for coping with life were located within man himself. In contrast, Paul locates his sufficiency in Christ, who provides strength for believers. So there's this contrast for self-sufficiency and Christ's sufficiency between Stoic philosophy and uh, Christian theology. And then Craig Keener, along the same lines, said that although Paul uses the language of contentment, which is common among Stoic philosophers and others, the idea of preserving and enduring for God's sake was commonly lived out by the Old Testament prophets, Jewish martyrs, and other servants of God. So we're getting this idea that not only is Paul drawing on the context of the Greeks, where there's philosophical ideas that are floating around, and this isn't the only Greek philosophy out there, there's plenty of others, but one of the prominent ones is of the Stoics, where um, specifically they just kind of let stuff happen as it is, and um, if they can't control it, then it's just God's will, it is what it is, let's just be passive about how we do things and not really get worked up about anything. And there's also a strong idea from the Jewish audience as well. And we got to keep in mind that the audience of almost all of these letters in the New Testament are a mixed bag. They're both Greeks and, and they're also uh, Jewish as well. It's not only um, Gentile believers. It's, there, there's plenty of Jewish believers that are in every, you know, local church body. So, uh, on the other hand, with the Jewish beliefs, there's this idea of living out and enduring to the end for God's sake, for God's glory, um, which we see in the Old Testament prophets and Jewish martyrs. So, that's what's important about verse 11 when he says that he has learned to be content in whatever circumstance. Verse 12, moving on, is so, so crucial for understanding of what 13 means, what Paul means when he writes this verse. And we also ought to keep in mind that verses in general, just verse numbers and chapter numbers, are a new concept. I don't know when they were actually added into the text of the Bible, but for the first at least... 1200 years of uh, Christian history are, you know, we didn't have verse numbers, we didn't have chapter numbers. And so, as helpful as they are, because uh, we can locate a certain passage, we can locate a certain phrase really, really well with these chapter and verse numbers. But we need to keep in mind that Paul wasn't writing this thinking, okay, I'm going to write this sentence and it's going to be in, it's going to be condensed to just one verse and, uh, you know, from a chapter and people are just going to be able to quote that. That's not how he was thinking when he was writing. He was just continuing and uh, adding to his thought from ver from what he had previously said that he can get along in whatever circumstance and then he writes the sentence that he can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then, so verse 12, he's describing 
why he can do all things that strengthen him. Or he can do all things through him who's, who strengthens him. Uh, so I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. So again, he's repeating this phrase, every circumstance. He said it in verse 11. He's saying it in verse 12. And he says all things, which is just a different way of saying every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So when he says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, what he's referring to is he who strengthens me, or in other words, it's Christ strengthening Paul. So I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Uh, That might also be Paul saying that he's learned to be content of, you know, being hungry and also be content in having food in his stomach. I think personally that when he says the secret, he's referring to something that's not really a secret. It's um, that Christ is strengthening him. Uh, When he's talking about the humble means and then prosperity and then going hungry and being filled and living in abundance and suffering, it's possible that he's talking about his previous life that he already mentioned in chapter three of this rising status of a Pharisee and then now his humble status where he is right now at the point of his writing as a prisoner. I think that's probably the most immediate context, but it's also possible that, um, you know, Keener, Craig Keener points out that Paul's abundance would have been meager and simple by modern standards. Artisans were better off than the poor, but far below the standard of living enjoyed by the modern Western middle class or by the well-to-do of antiquity. So Paul wasn't, I mean, well off by any means, but uh, I still think that he's contrasting the rising status of his Jewish lifestyle and then the humble status of being a prisoner. And he's learned that, and, and maybe it might also refer to just not being in prison and not being chased down, you know, just the couple of days or couple of weeks that he has of just enjoying his time with his friends, preaching the gospel, and then contrasting that to being hunted down and thrown in prison, beaten to the point of literally to the point where they, uh, there's a story in Acts, I think it's chapter 12, and this is just coming off the top of my head. I'm probably getting it wrong, but, uh, he gets stoned and literally should be dead. And so the, the Jewish people that stoned him threw him on the outskirts of town, expecting him to be dead. And then the, um, the believers in the church grabbed his body because they wanted to give him some respect and dignity. And then within the next day he's healed, you know, he wakes up and just gets up goes to another town and keeps preaching the gospel. So uh, Paul, knowing the difference between well-to-do and then not so well-to-do, 
I think if there's anyone, it's it's Paul. And here we are, landing in verse 13, the the passage or the, the verse that is so often taken out of context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what's neat about this is even a lot of our Bibles will say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that addition of the word Christ is a later addition. It, the earliest manuscripts probably just have him who strengthens me, which either way, Paul is referring to Christ. Um, so the note that I had from the expositors Bible commentary is that the apostle was not desperately seeking a gift from the Philippians because he knew that Christ would give him the strength for whatever circumstances were in God's will for him. Uh, he knew that in all things, Christ is the one giving him the strength. And that right there should be enough for us to, like, even if if we just took the time to think about verse 13 for five or 10 minutes, just as it is, then that could probably stop 50, 60, 70% of the misuse that is applied. Because if we just take the time to really dissect and think that I can do all things through, so it's not already, already, we're at the point of, it's not I can do all things, it's I can do all things through, so there's a means to the ends of doing all things, and we've already limited down what all things means, it's being content living in any circumstance, whether it's being beaten or being wealthy, um, I can get along through him who strengthens me. So the only way that he's able to do this is because he's being strengthened by Christ. So verse 14 is just kind of ending this thought, and then it continues in a following thought. So nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So this is a reminder that we know that Paul is not talking about winning football games or uh, passing a test in your junior year of high school chemistry class. That's not at all what he's talking about. He's talking about persevering through real trials and real sufferings only by the strength of Christ. So the question then arises, can we do all things through Christ who strengthens us? And I think the answer is yes, but it's in a particular sense. Uh, I've mentioned in one of the previous episodes, I think it was John 3.16, that a helpful tool that we can use while exegeting and really dissecting a passage or a verse is to invert it. And I said that, I think I've previously said that it doesn't work for every passage. And what I mean by that is if you invert the wording, sometimes that inverted wording just doesn't make any sense. Like it just doesn't, like it logically just doesn't make sense. And that's um, kind of what is going to happen when we invert it. So if we invert verse 
13, it says, I cannot do all things without Christ. And so it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we have to take that and then kind of make it a more thoughtful, thought for thought idea of, I cannot, I cannot do anything without Christ, which that gets at the heart of what Paul is saying. So I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me, or the inverted, I cannot do anything without him strengthening me. The other thing that I want to point out is that we can't, if we're going to use verse 13 as a proof text, which proof texting gets me all, like it gets me all kinds of riled up because it can be so, so useful, but it can be so, so damaging because there's, it can be very useful if you explain the context of the proof text as you're proof texting. But if you're not, then you're kind of just tossing stuff around and sure you might know the context of it, but it's when you start proof texting, that's when it gets super, super easy to start taking stuff out of context. Anyways, uh, so I've got mixed feelings about proof texting. So verse 20 says, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the key to verse 13. Because that's the end of Paul's total thought. From 10 to 20 is this whole long thought, maybe two thought bubbles, but it's it's pretty much just one long train of thought. And he sa- he ends it by saying, to the glory of, now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. So if we're going to try to take verse 13 and use it as a way to give ourselves glory in any capacity, and might I remind you that if you think that winning a football game and using this verse as, oh, this is going to help, like God's going to help me win this football game because I can do all things through him who strengthens me, that's not giving God the glory. That's taking it away and giving the glory to yourself. You're saying, oh, I have this secret method of getting my own strength so that I can win. And that's not at all what Paul is saying. That's not at all what he means when he says that he can do all things through him who strengthens him. He means that the only possible way to get through the circumstances that he gets through is through Christ in him. Uh, and I, I want to remind us of earlier within the the book, chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, where he says, all things are counted as lost for the sake of Christ. I'm going to read that passage because it's so good. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So, this whole passage is about Paul losing his glory and losing everything that he has for the sake of knowing Christ. And this is coming before he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This this is one of the things that leads up to it. And then he ends just a few sentences later by saying, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to remind us also of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses uh, 7 to 10, which I love this passage. It's really mysterious because we don't really know what's going on. We don't know everything that Paul is dealing with because he says that he's dealing with a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that thorn is, but he's dealing with something, some type of trial or tribulation. It could be a spiritual, um, like consistent temptation that he has. It could be um, a, like a physical ailment that he has where, you know, he feels like it's hindering him. It's, it's just unclear. So Second Corinthians 12, 7 to 10 say, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Here it is. To keep me from exalting myself. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. I, I feel like I shouldn't have to read anymore. It sh- this should be proof enough that Philippians 4.13 is not about you. It's not about exalting yourself. It's all about great glory of Christ. But I'll go on. Verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So the Lord says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, which sounds very, very similar to I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Him who strengthens me. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I think this also has to do with what Paul is talking about in verse 12 beforehand, where he says that he's learned the secret of weakness and strength, or uh, I'm paraphrasing at this point, but um, he's learned the secret of abundance and having nothing. And what he, I I think what he's referring to, or at least uh, there's a close parallel to him saying that he has learned to be content in weaknesses and insults and distresses, persecutions and difficulties. And it's all for Christ's sake. Because when he's weak, then he's strong. Because when he is weak, he is entirely dependent on Christ. 
And so in those good circumstances where Paul is truly at the top of his game, he's he feels like he's gaining the whole world to Christ. He's, you know, no one's stopping him. No one's in his way. None of that is for his own glory. It's all because Christ has made him strong. And yet, when he's thrown in prison, he's beaten to the point of almost dying. He glories in that. Because when he's weak, he's totally and utterly dependent on Christ. So I want to remind us that Philippians 4.13 shouldn't be a verse that's taken as, you know, I as this encouragement that we've got the Holy Spirit in us or we've got Christ on our side and he's going to give us strength to get through uh, our football games and our chemistry exams. But it should be a reminder that when we're really deeply struggling, whether it's with spiritual temptations or some type of physical ailment or, um, you know, something that's, that's really, you know, it feels like you cannot make it another day. Christ is sufficient. So I hope that this has been an encouraging message for you. And uh, I want to continue putting out content that is encouraging and um, not just, you know, lightly digging into the just some of the issues of a text but I I really want to dive deep into what's going on who's uh you know I, I want to dive into Greek and Hebrew but as I mentioned my resources are mildly limited because of uh not being in school right now so I don't have full access to our library but just a reminder to get on Facebook and um, vote for whatever book study you want to hear. And may this passage that uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, may that be an encouragement that it is only by the power of Christ strengthening you that you can get through whatever you're going through. And may that be the most wonderful news that you've heard this week. So continue to love God and love others and seek his word. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christ in Context. If you enjoyed the episode, give us a rating and a review through Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming app you use to listen and subscribe to be notified when new content is posted. You can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Christ in Context Pod and Twitter at CNC Podcast. For other edifying material, check out the Doctrinal Discipleship Facebook group or the webpage at DoctrinalDiscipleship.com.